Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and today we're going to be looking at some of your voicemails. And our first couple of messages are from Glenn Halstrom, a.k.a. Old Man Grognard. Take it away, Glenn. Hi, John. Old Man Grognard here. Just finished listening to your uh, How You Stat Up Your NPCs episode. Great episode, by the way. Thanks very much, Glenn. That's very kind of you. Glad you enjoyed the episode. And I agree with them for the most part. You, you know, the rank and file, you know, flat out stats and equipment, whatever. But what I like to do for major NPCs and stuff, I hate writing stat blocks. You know, for like writing up as a character. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Glenn. I mean, it's very rare that I will write up a full sort of as a character stat block for a an NPC. Normally, I'll take like a generic set of like normal human stats or NPC stats, and I'll sort of tweak them a little bit. But it's very rare I draw out a full character sheet. Occasionally, if it's a retainer that's become like massively important and has been with the PCs for a long time. But other than that, generally not. But what I do is, you probably heard this to, on my other episodes, and about benchmarks. Give a benchmark to your game. What is an average being in your game? Like, say, all old schools, like all nine stats, which is a middle. Give them a middle ground. So when I write the quote-unquote stat blocks, I will write just prominent stats. Say, he's got basic benchmark stats, but his strength is this or his con is this, one or two stats. Also, you know, if there's a skill system with the game, you just sort of, you know, you you pick out what skills they would have. I give them no more than two skills, three pushing it. But that way you can just look at somebody and say, okay, he's really strong. Okay, he's, uh, he's really dexterous. And everything else is, is average. You know, like I said, if you can establish a benchmark for your campaign, for your game, then it's a lot better. Yeah, I think those are some great suggestions there, Glenn. I really love the idea of sort of just writing down the the stats that differ from the sort of generic uh, baseline stats for that race. I think that's a really cool idea, and it would enable you to save a lot of space on your actual notes. Thanks very much for that call, Glenn. Very much appreciated. What else have you got for us? Just listen to your Hot Springs Island episode, and you, you, you and I are on the same page of that. I've got to set the Hot Springs Island in the dark. I bought that like three years ago, I think it was, three, four years ago at North Texas RPG Con, and I think it was $100 well spent. But at the same time, yeah, I don't want my players writing in that, that field guide either. So the idea of printing out a the PDF and you know doing it up just as something like that would be appeals to me now as far as using it i have yet to use it i mean i find the dark of hot springs on it kind of daunting but it might be worth it um but i love your idea of finding the journal or finding part of the journal because i want to get into hyperborea third edition when it comes out comes out in print and i'm thinking hot springs island i could easily add to hyperborea if i wanted to and it would be it would be great if and you know I I want to look at it again I think it'd be very easy to convert it to that one e system and just give it the pulpish flavor that it needs so that is a good idea and I'm going to be thinking about that in the weeks to come so great show great show uh, keep it up 
and I will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for the call-ins, Glenn. Much appreciated. And I think you've highlighted one of the real strengths of Hot Springs Islands as a book there, is that it can be very easily, by design, be just dropped into any campaign setting. And because the stats aren't so system-specific, it'd be difficult to convert. Like you say, you could easily convert it to Hyperborea. Got to admit, I'm looking forward to getting my grubby mitts on the hard copy myself when it's released, or I could do it for OSE or numerous other sort of D&D games. And I'm sure you could probably convert it to non-D&D games. I know Heresy, but I'm sure it could probably be converted to other games. Anyway, thank you very much for your call-ins, Glenn. Greatly appreciated. Our next call-in is from Joe at the Hindsightless Podcast. Take it away, Joe. Yo, what's up, John and Hannah? Just catching up on some of your episodes, listening to the responses to the fudging episodes and all of Jason's calls where he claims that uh, crafting comes from computer games. And yeah, you know, there's a long and storied history of crafting magic items all throughout fiction. You know, you look at Tolkien. That's very true. And not to forget the fact that creation of a sort and crafting has been around in like D&D since like the olden days when you know people could make scrolls and stuff like that but have you got any examples of where it appears in fiction you look at the movie dragon slayer forging the rings of power all that stuff it goes way back and so yeah crafting it it has gotten more intricate and more interesting but crafting magic items has been a part of role playing games since you know way way back so it yeah totally didn't come from video games anyway great episodes peace out cheers dude much appreciated always enjoy getting a call in from yourself and yeah i think you make a valid point that it's been around in some sort of version of variety since the early days of role playing i think the real difference is that as sort of time's gone on and like later editions of games have come out and stuff like that the the crafting process has perhaps become more intricate with more sort of moving parts in terms of the rules rather than the slightly hand wavier sort of versions that we tended to have earlier on well and to be honest it just comes down to like which one of those uh, methods of doing it that you prefer i tend to lean slightly more towards the less system heavy versions but you know for people who like all those little moving parts and little checkboxes and stuff like that that's absolutely fine like i say it's whatever you enjoy really and our next call is from the hex flower meister himself goblin's henchman hi john goblin's henchman here so just a big thank you for putting out all those episodes recently you seem to be doing uh, double time at the moment recranking it Glad you're enjoying the episodes, dude. Yeah, I've been trying to sort of put out an episode a day for the past few weeks. I'm sort of trying to record a little bit ahead, you know, so I'm like a week ahead now with recording of the main episodes and just dropping a, a voicemail episode in here and there where I get enough voicemails to make it worth doing. But yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to crank out the episodes a little bit more, be a little bit more, I suppose, stream of consciousness if that's the correct term and just talk about things I'm interested in at the time rather than trying to spend like days and weeks sort of like beating myself up because I've not spent all this time like planning out these vast reviews and stuff like that. But to be honest, a lot of that was spurred on by receiving a fat stack of Lamentations of the Flame Princess products to review. And due to various personal things happening, I didn't get around to reviewing them and I felt a bit bad about it because my other been good enough to send me these 
lovely hard copy books i really need to get around to reviewing them and then once i got back into it again i was like oh, I'm, you know, I'm quite enjoying doing these shorter episodes i'm going to keep trying to keep that momentum going and see how i get on but i think goblin's henchman has got some more to say about the or at least one of the recent lamentations products that i reviewed um i know you did preface the uh, white power as in the Lamentation of the Flame Princess module review with a comment saying, you know, this, this might not be for everyone, you know, it might annoy a few people. Um, but I have to say, for me, it sort of crosses the line for me, I think. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, on this, these times we need this kind of, like, um, unnecessary provocation on, on sort of racial lines. I think there's enough of that out there already. Um, I, I've, I've given Lamentations a lot of latitude in the past, but for me, it's... It's gone too far. Um, I think OSC has now occupied the vacuum that Lamentations had, and I think that's just because they're putting out a really good product, like Lamentations do, but without all the unnecessary chiff-chaff. <laughs> right, thanks, fella. Um, cheers. Bye. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Goblin's Henchman. And as I said a few times in the review of that, I almost think it's a shame that there's such a shock-jock, sort of inflammatory title on it, because the actual source book itself the actual module the adventure if you will was really good and it didn't really have anything aside from the most sort of minor tangential link to the inflammatory title you could have quite easily called it something else and it would not made one jot of difference but i suppose you know lamentations and not to excuse that or anything but lamentations has always sort of prided itself on being the sort of rebellious like shock jocks of the osr movement and maybe that really sells to their audience i honestly don't know i'm i'm not in a position to view their business figures it would would i have picked that up if i'd have seen it on a shelf possibly not but i think that's unfortunate because like i say it's a really cool module however having read it i like the module i just i'm not particularly fond of the title what can i say but I don't know that that's sort of their brand I suppose now and you know when there's so many other OSR retro clones and stuff out there you know maybe they're they're pushed to be that ex and again not to excuse it but maybe that's how they're trying to make themselves stand out whether that's a good or a bad thing I'd leave it to better people than myself to judge and next up we've got a bit more from Joe at Hindsightless this time he's talking about Hot Springs Island Hey, John, so Hot Springs Island. I totally bought Hot Springs Island, you know, way back, and I've read it, never run it. Yeah, that seems to be the cry of most people, myself included, certainly people I've spoke to who have purchased Hot Springs Island. It's very well put together. It's got some amazing ideas. It looks great, but I've yet to really find many people who've actually run it which is one of the reasons I'm so keen to bring it to the table myself. But it always has looked really interesting, and I love your idea of taking it to the convention on a big map and having people fill it in as they go. I think you're, the death certificate idea, that is genius. Thanks very much. I can't take too much credit for it. Uh, someone in one of the, um, the discords I'm on posted up a link to a free PDF of it, which again, I'll put that link down in the description below in case anyone's interested i went and had a look and i was like oh that's a great idea i'd love to be able to like give out the death certificates for the characters as like a little memento of having 
played in the game. I know if I was there, I'd want to play in every one of your games and try and collect as many death certificates as I could. Um, and yeah, as far as running multiple campaigns in the same world, I have done that before with uh, you know one of my homebrew worlds where we played one campaign for a while in one area of the world and then switched over to a complete other area of the world. And we didn't end up playing either one of those campaigns long enough for the two, you know, kind of storylines to come together or anything, but I still have done it. That sort of counts. Anyway, man, great episode. Peace out. Thanks very much, Joe. Much appreciated. Yeah, with regards to running campaigns set in the same campaign, well, I suppose I've technically done it. Like I've run a number of Middlelands campaigns. I've run a few Forgotten Realms campaigns back in the day, but they were always, even though they're ostensibly in the same campaign world, they're always sort of self-contained in their own version of that world, and the events of one of the other games didn't really have like a knock-on effect. And it's that sort of building of that sort of history of a game that I'm really keen to get into with using my um, current um, third Earth campaign setting where we're running Smoke and Snow to potentially like drop Hot Springs Islands in and host other campaigns in. So thank you very much for your call, Joe. Greatly appreciated. And next up, we've got Goblin's Henchman back at the mic to give me some pointers on using Excel for other things than I spoke about in our recent episode. Hi, John. Goblin's Henchman here. So, George, you episode about Excel in um, RPGs. Um... I thought it was very interesting, the uh, idea about market size. I think that's a really neat idea, actually. I might have to look, up, look at that in uh, Old School Essentials. Um, just with Excel, I think the way you were pitching it is, you know, using Excel as, a, as its traditional function. Absolutely right. I'll hold my hands up and plead guilty there. I work in finance and do an awful lot of admin, so and I use Excel an awful lot in my job. So I suppose I'm a little bit locked into the mindset, you know, that it's it's mainly for figures and doing maths and calculations, like pivot tables and stuff like that. There's a lot of other Excel stuff out there. I know people have like spread, uh, character sheets that autofill for you, especially for 5e. You know, they do all the kind of calculations for you just put the numbers in and probably even roll it up yourself um i've also experimented using excel to uh do mapping i've got a simple excel mapper which incidentally went silver recently on drive through oh congratulations dude on getting the silver sale obviously i've had a look at your hex flowers stuff previously and very much enjoyed that and i think i have had a look at your uh, your excel mapper if i remember correctly it uses like conditional formatting so you can set up the map but Obviously, it slipped my mind when I was doing the episode, Mia Culpa. But, yeah, I, if I can find a link to that, I will put it in the description down below. Check out Goblin's Henchman stuff. It's all quality. Like he says, Silver Seller on Drive-Thru RPG. They're all reasonably priced and tend to be really inventive and fun sort of variations on the themes. You really can't go far wrong. Well, you just type in a key like uh, W and it makes a blue square for water. And also um, using Excel to really condense um, maps, map information. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a, definitely a niche within a niche. And, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't appeal to everyone. But I think the idea here is that <coughs> you um, make the Excel cells into a grid. So basically square-shaped cells, one rectangular cells. And that's your grid for your map. 
and then what you do is you insert a map an image as the background and that way your grid is overlaid the map and then what you can do in those cells is like add a number for like room one but more importantly you can right click on that cell and add something called a note and the note is basically you can basically fill in with all the information you want like you know the goblin stats and any notes about the room and all that kind of stuff and the neat thing about a note is that when you're when you're not hovering over the note it, it disappears yeah that's a really good point actually i use the note functions a lot in my day job and it hadn't occurred to me that obviously you could drop a an image behind the cells and you could use it to make notes i mean i pretty much do that in sort of foundry vtt at the moment using like the note function on there you know you put it on the grid and the map but yeah you, of course you can use excel for that and as you'll be hearing in an episode that'll come out uh, a short while after this, I'm currently looking at potentially simpler or like more manual alternatives to using a, a sort of more complex VTT. So I've been having some like tech issues with those recently. So this might be a goer. Thanks very much. So yes, essentially you've got the map is in two modes. You've got a passive mode where it just has the map and the numbers with the grid, and then you've got an active mode that whenever you hover over it, whenever you hover the mouse over the number up pops the information you need so it's very compact and you get a lot of information on one page but yeah all of this stuff of mine is on youtube demo videos i've also used excel too as using the macro feature to for example generate a wilderness terrain map um random map it just generates the whole thing and you can edit it uh other widgets just like star wars plot generator um you know so there's a lot of things you can do with excel other than just bean counting which is perfectly fine <laughs> But again, it's very much a niche within niche, and I can understand why it wouldn't appeal to a lot of people. And it's just essentially been superseded by Roll20 and things like that. I mean, it's basically my fallback because I can't code. So it's my sort of crutch, if you like, for doing stuff I want to do. Anyway, th thanks for that. I didn't want to take three messages, but there you go. No problems at all, Goblin Tenchman. I'll happily receive as many messages as you care to send. Thank you very much for sending those in. And yet, as I said earlier, I think Goblin Tenchman makes a very good point that using Excel for something like this is a good sort of low-tech, relatively speaking, solution as opposed to using these slightly more complicated VTTs. And if you're familiar with the basics of Excel, it's not terribly difficult to pick up as opposed to the more complex coding of some of the vtts so that is definitely something i will be giving a go thank you very much for that goblin henchman but i think goblin henchman has got some more to say about his uh his a uh, disagreement with the the lamentations of the flame princess product that we were talking about earlier beyond my comment on your uh, white power episode that i left before um just quickly saying obviously just my personal view on the, the title i didn't like it um but in fairness to you you did preface it to say some people wouldn't like the name of this module uh, and uh, you're right <laughs> some people won't like me um, but obviously it's not a reflection on you you're doing good work out there you're reviewing stuff in fact the, the review was good um i just thought for me personally i didn't like the title i think it's you know the shock jock stuff is wearing a bit thin for me but just just want to let you know um obviously it wasn't intended to be personally. I just want to say that because sometimes things get lost in the translation. I'm sure you understand that, but it doesn't hurt to say it, does it? Okay, thanks for that, bye. Uh, thanks very much for leaving the call, Goblin Tenchman. 
as you say, I entirely understand that it, it wasn't anything personal. And I was highly anticipating that there would be people who would listen to that review who would take Umbridge out of the title. And to be honest, I don't blame them. It's obviously designed to get that reaction from people, as I said earlier. And as you rightly said in your message, it's these sort of shock jock tactics. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'll leave down to people to make their own decisions. But it is sort of de rigueur for lamentations products but yeah don't worry about it dude i entirely understand it wasn't anything personal and you know you're free to not like the title of that as is anyone else i'm glad you actually enjoyed the review though and as i say i think it'd be a shame if a lot of people were put off by the title from what is actually a very tightly written and a very entertaining module but there you go would i have chose to call it that no I'm not in charge of that game line, am I? I can only really review what's sent to me and what is seen. But I'm glad you enjoyed the review anyway, dude. Thank you very much for your message. And next up, we have a call from Jason of the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, John. Jason here. Just listened to your multiple campaigns episode. Great episode. I am not going to answer the question you asked directly because, well, I can't. Um, I know other people have done that too, though. So, like, Chicago Wiz did it. That he basically ran everything in his own world, and yeah, absolutely right. And Chicago was was uh, one of the inspirations for me wanting to do a similar thing. I used to listen to his podcast episodes when he was putting those out. Enjoyed his blog. It made me think about a number of things to do with RPGs. You know about like, from whether I could incorporate sort of large scale battles to running campaigns to hex crawls and stuff like that chicago Wiz is a great source of information so i know you can definitely do it without a problem it's, it's just a matter i think one of the common recommendations is to start your groups in different parts of the world so so it's easier to they're less likely to affect each other at least initially so it's easier for you to track the lore because they're not you know they're, they're local events on different ends of the continent stuff like that but you know, I did run two parallel campaigns in the same world one time, but they weren't interconnected. Like, I, basically, it's running the same module for two different groups at the same time, and, and that worked really well. So when I did that, that's when Altered State, the ICRPG Cyberpunk rules had just come out, and I ran a UK-based group and a, I guess, an American-based group. Um, you know, one, so I'm in America, so one in my afternoon, one in my evening, on the same day, and I was running the same scenario, the same campaign for both. But, you know, obviously they diverged greatly after first contact because each group did different things. But that, you know, that was a lot of fun. But I haven't done what you're doing. And, you know, I'll call into different shows and it sounds like I'm heavy into the edition wars and all that. But ultimately, you are 100% correct. It's all D&D. You know, whatever group, whatever your group enjoys playing is the right version for you. So... I just wanted to put that in there. Take care, John. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much for the calls, Jason. Much appreciated. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. At the end of the day, you know, if, if a particular edition of D&D works for you and your group, then that's grand, isn't it? You know, if, if it doesn't work for me, that's fine. I'm not playing in your game. And I love the fact that there's a multitude of choice out there so that whatever your particular like flavour of D&D is, there's probably an addition out there for you somewhere. 
But I think just before we wrap up, Jason's got a little bit to say about our recent spreadsheets episode. Hey, John, Jason, again, thank you for your spreadsheet episode. I really think you nailed it. Um, there is totally nothing wrong with using spreadsheets and other modern tools outside the game for game prep. I did not mean to imply that. I hope I didn't. But like you say, you know, use it outside the game. Don't slow down the game with it. I agree with everything you said in that episode. And I think that's a really useful episode, especially for people that haven't thought about doing that because it, it will assist them in their game world. And it actually, having that data available at your fingertips actually makes it easier to GM because you're not trying to figure out on the top of your head, oh, would they have this? I wonder how many they'll have. And then you're rolling dice at the table and slowing things down. So 100% use modern tools to prep your game, no question about it. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, I think that modern tools can be really great as long as they're facilitating your ability to run or play in a game rather than becoming an end to themselves and i sometimes fall prey to this trap myself where you know like something new some new tool or whatever will come out and i want to try out the cool new shiny thing but at the end of the day if it doesn't really help me run a game is it really worth me like worrying about that much but as goblins henchman said earlier there are also some surprising ways in which you can use spreadsheets in a more sort of uh in-game related way for rpgs so again i think it's a matter of trial and error experimenting finding out what works for you and what tools suit you the best and help you run that game so there we are that's it for this voicemail episode thank you to all of my wonderful callers if you'd like to call in yourself and maybe be featured in a future episode you can do so in a few different ways you can leave us a voicemail either on speakpipe or anchor link in the description down below or you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun